Live from WNUR News, I'm Jung and Jennifer Kim. You're listening to the 6 o'clock news on WNUR 89.3 FM slash HD1 Evanston, Chicago. It's Friday, October 7th, 2022. Tonight on WNUR News, a rundown of midterm elections, music and identity in Hispanic Heritage Month, a TikTok famous second grader's love for corn, and a new WNUR segment weather. Those stories coming up tonight on WNUR News at 6. Thanks for tuning in. This year's midterm elections will be held on Tuesday, November 8th. The next month will be an important time for Northwestern students who plan to vote. To help out, reporter Alex Harrison has an overview of what you need to know to be ready for Election Day. To an even or odd number. Even! It's an election year! That's right, Wildcats. It's once again election season. At time of broadcast, there are only 32 days until Election Day, held on Tuesday, November 8th. A huge number of seats at the federal, state, and local levels will be up for grabs. So needless to say, it's going to be a big one. To help unpack and prepare you for the big day, here is your top-to-bottom primer for the 2022 midterm elections. First things first, registering to vote. If you're a freshman or haven't voted before, you might not know where to start. If that's the case, there's a group on campus ready to help you through registration from start to finish. Northwestern has one of the highest rates of voter registration in the country, and we like to keep it that way. This is Weinberg senior Maddie Brown, a fellow in NU Votes, a voter registration and engagement group in the Center for Civic Engagement. She said the group hit the ground running on preparing students to vote as soon as the school year started. We just finished our sort of crazy three weeks of in-person voter registration and absentee ballot request stations. We were at dining halls, we were in Norris, we were at Wildcat Welcome, um, and we amassed just hundreds and hundreds of absentee ballot requests and first-time registration from a lot of freshmen at Wildcat Welcome and all of that stuff. Northwestern students can register to vote in either Illinois or in their home state. Illinois has same-day voter registration, which requires two forms of ID, one of which has to show you've lived here at least 30 days prior to election day. Brown said students voting outside of Illinois should check their registration and request an absentee ballot as soon as they can, since each state sets its own voting laws and deadlines. If you're not registered and you can register to vote online, if your state allows that, do it now because you only have two weeks left probably at the most because the election is so soon. And if you're going to vote by mail, do that now because you need time to get the ballot and then postmark it and all of the stuff that goes with voting by mail. She added that NU Votes is happy to help anyone navigate their state's voting laws, no matter how confusing or restrictive. We're really set up to handle anything, any any election questions, any requests, and we've seen it all. <laughs> we really have seen it all and we're prepared to tackle any state and any of the restrictions. Now that you have the how of voting down, it's time to think about the who, meaning who will you be voting for? Let's start with a bird's eye view. Because it's a midterm election, the president won't be on the ballot, but 34 Senate seats and the entire House of Representatives will be. On top of that, 36 states are holding elections for governor, with major toss-ups in Oregon, Arizona, Nevada, and Wisconsin. 
In Illinois, the marquee race is also for governor, as incumbent Democrat J.B. Pritzker runs for a second term against Republican State Senator Darren Bailey. Despite the media attention and high number of ads on the airwaves, polls show Pritzker holding a solid lead heading into the final month of the campaign. Further down the ballot, Republicans are making a play for the Illinois State Supreme Court, going after two open seats in districts which include the collar counties that neighbor Cook County. Winning both would give Republicans a 4-3 majority, and would likely have huge ramifications on issues like reproductive rights, gun control, and criminal justice reform. There are also two major referendums that will appear on the Evanston ballot. One is a statewide vote on a constitutional amendment, which would add the right to collective bargaining into the Illinois Bill of Rights. The other is just in Evanston, where residents will vote on whether to adopt a ranked choice voting system in city elections for mayor, city clerk, and city council members starting in 2025. To see what student organizers are doing ahead of the election, WNUR News reached out to both the College Democrats and the College Republicans. The College Republicans did not respond to interview requests. Medill Senior Ben Chasen is the Director of Public Relations for the College Democrats. He said the organization sees protecting reproductive rights as their top issue, following the ruling in Dobbs v. Jackson in June. Roe v. Wade was a national decision that applied to everywhere, and now that it is no longer standing, um, there are a hell of a lot of scary candidates running uh, in the state of Illinois. There's not that much standing between a Republican majority um, in, in some of the legislative chambers. Uh, and, and so I think we're focused on working with people like Laura Fine um, and, and, and Laurel Harbor-Jong, just about figuring out what we can do at the state level. Chasen said the org is also focused on educating its own members, especially newly arriving freshmen. He said the College Dems will hold a public event soon to introduce students to the local political environment, with a little help from the mayor of Evanston. We're having a crash course on Illinois politics and Evanston politics October 18th um, with Daniel Bists. Um, he's agreed to come in and, 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 and talk a little bit about Evanston politics, about his experience with Illinois politics, because there was a lot of interest when we were talking like our initial meeting this year uh, with members. And they said, well, that's great. We want to get involved and we want to knock doors. We want to make phone calls, write letters, all the good stuff. And we're still going to do all of that. But we'd like to know, you know, what, where do things stand? With the who taken care of, all that's left is the when and where. Brown said that as election day approaches, NU Votes will focus on helping students make and carry out their plan for voting. We'll be shifting to the sort of get out the vote phase of have you voted? How are you voting? If you're voting in person, what time and what day are you going to walk to the Civic Center if you're voting early, for example? And then on election day, last chance, are you going? When are you going to the Civic Center? How can we get you there? Chasen said that no matter which party students vote for, they should remember that their vote does matter, especially in down-ballot races, which can have just as large of an impact as federal races at the top. If you live in California, or you live in New York, if you live in, in some of these solid blue or red states, um, like many people at Northwestern do, um, there's like this conception that your vote might not matter even in Illinois. But there are things on the ballot, up and down, um, whether they're amendments, whether they're local races, um, there's a way to be involved and, 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 and to care um, and to make an impact with your vote. Watching the polls, this is Alex Harrison, WNUR News. Welcome back to the WNUR News. It's 6.11 p.m. Central Time. Moving on to arts and entertainment for this Hispanic Heritage Month, reporter Maria Camaño interviews students around campus to learn what songs make them feel close to their identity. If you had never really heard of Hispanic Heritage Month until a few years ago, 
you're not alone. The month started to be acknowledged and gain popularity in recent years, but Hispanic Heritage Month has existed since the late 1960s. According to the U.S. Department of Education, in 1968, what was then Hispanic Heritage Week was established by Representative of Los Angeles Edward R. Roybal and signed into law by then-President Lyndon B. Johnson. This week would go on to be extended to a month and would go on from September 15th to October 15th. These days were chosen as a starting point due to the multiple Independence Days that fall on this week, with Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua on the 15th, Mexico on the 16th, Chile on the 18th, and Belize on the 21st. One of the ways that Hispanic-slash-Latinx communities find comfort and closeness to their identity is through music. As of 2020, the Census Bureau estimated that there are about 65.3 million people who identify as Hispanic or Latino living in the U.S. and Puerto Rico, around 19.5% of the total population. So, it is no surprise that this is reflected in the music industry. According to Music Business Worldwide, in 2021, Latin music made $857 million in streaming revenue, meaning that out of every dollar made in the U.S. streaming record industry, one in every 14 was generated by Latin music. And clearly, Latin music has gained more popularity over the past couple of years, with the genre surpassing country and EDM as one of the most listened to in 2018. So, as Hispanic Heritage Month nears its end, I went around campus asking Hispanic and Latino students what song makes them feel closer to their Latinx culture and identity. Here are some of their favorites. My name is Andres. My family is from Ecuador, specifically Guayaquil, and that really reminds me of the song Imaginarme Sin Ti uh, by Elvis Crespo, just because it mentions the town name. Hi, my name is Melanie Torres, and a song that makes me feel close to home is La Gozadera by Gente de Zona. My name is Maya Lindo, and my song is La Tortura by Shakira. My name is Nicole Constante, and my song is In the Heights by, like, this musical. Hello, my name is Breno, and the song that reminds me of my home and also of my Latinidad is Boom Boom Tan Tan. Hi, my name is Larissa, and a song that reminds me of home is La Tierra del Olvido by Carlos Vives. Now, I'll leave you with my personal favorite that reminds me of home. Juan Luis Guerras, Ojalá Que Llueva Café. This has been Maria Camaño for WNUR News, wishing you all a happy Hispanic Heritage Month. And out there in oddities, last month a second grader went viral on TikTok for his love for corn. Reporter Pazbaum takes a look into corn, other polarizing foods, and why people like and dislike certain ingredients.
A seven-year-old from New York City rose to TikTok fame last month for his responses to a reporter at a food festival about the ear of corn he was eating. In case you missed it, Tariq really likes corn. Based on anecdotal evidence, most people feel pretty neutral about corn, but they do have some pretty strong opinions about other foods. I love milk. What do you think about cheese? I have nothing against it. I just personally don't like it. What do you think about ketchup? I think it's disgusting. Katya, a self-proclaimed milk lover, Anna, who hates cheese, and Francesca, who can't stand ketchup, spoke with me about their relationships with some of today's most polarizing foods. Katya's love of milk puts her in the minority among our generation. I had to learn more about why she continued to drink milk while many of her peers shifted to vegan and lactose-free diets. I just think it's so tasty, and you don't even need to have it with anything else. Like, just a nice glass of milk on its own. I think it can be more refreshing than water. Katya continued by addressing some of the moral and environmental concerns of consuming dairy. Obviously, there's... Issues that come with, you know, mass factory farming, and I try not to buy from any of those companies. I think it's important that the cows are raised in a better environment, you know, outside, pasture-raised, grass-fed, and I think that's important, but I also think that shaming consumers for, you know, a situation that is not really under their control at its as it really is these large corporations who keep um, perpetuating these really unethical practices. Anna, on the other hand, avoids almost all dairy. She did reintroduce some into her diet recently, though. I recently started eating plain cream cheese. It It was a big moment for me. Cutting an ingredient as common as cheese out of one's diet, bar the occasional spread of cream cheese on a bagel, is no easy feat. One thing that people ask me about a lot is pizza. And I just have always eaten pizza without cheese on it. I feel like I just request dishes that very traditionally have cheese with no cheese. And then people look at me weird, but I like it, so who cares? Anna also often makes food at home, like pesto, to accommodate her dislike of cheese. Tariq loves corn, Anna hates cheese, Katya loves milk, I can't stand avocados, but why? There are several reasons, both biological and cultural, why individuals like some foods and dislike others. One main reason why people have strong feelings toward a given food is that they have either a positive or negative association or memory with that food. Katya and Francesca both experienced this. I think probably from a young age, I had milk like alongside desserts, and I have an insane sweet tooth, so I love cookies, tarts cakes, cupcakes, anything with sugar. And so I think there's probably a very positive connotation in my head of milk going along with the other thing I love, like chocolate and sweets. One time when I was at summer camp for the first time, I was at lunch and I ran into someone by accident. And this guy had ketchup on his fries and it got in my hair. And I smelled my hair like I didn't notice. And then I sat down to eat my lunch and I I put my fingers through my hair and there's ketchup in my hair and I smell my hair and it's like hard and sticky and gross. And ever since then, I dislike ketchup even more. Another explanation behind the like and dislike of certain foods is that sometimes people eat something with a food they already like, making them enjoy that first food. 
Take Tariq and his corn on the cob, for example. He likely enjoys eating butter, and now he associates corn, which has a relatively bland taste, with the flavor and consistency of butter. Memory and food associations are psychological explanations for feelings towards certain foods, but there is also a cultural explanation. We tend to like foods that our friends and family enjoy. If at a young age you are consistently exposed to a given food, you are likely to enjoy eating it later in life. Now we know why people love some foods and can't stand others, but we are left with one lingering question about Tariq's situation. Does corn really have, quote, the juice? Lauren, do you like corn? Yeah. Do you think corn has juice? Yeah. Carter, do you like corn? I do, sometimes. Do you think corn has juice? If you squeeze it, yeah. Eddie, do you like corn? I do like corn. Do you think corn has juice? <laughs> That's a great question. Katya, do you like corn? I love corn. <laughs> do you think corn has juice? A lot of juice. Corn gives a sensation of juiciness, but there's no such thing as juice corn. Corn juice. <laughs> Thank you to everyone who cleared up that question for us. I guess it turns out that Tariq was right. For WNUR News, I'm Passbaum. And now for the weather, reporters Helen Bradshaw and Nick Song, longtime Northwestern Busties, debut a new segment giving us a look at what to expect from our skies. Hi, I'm Helen. And I'm Nick. Each week we bring you the latest on the weather. And our friendship, which we hope can weather any storm. No can weather any storm. We'll cover the Evanston, Chicago region and, in the winter, a fair dose of seasonal depression. This, this is, is Fair Weather, Friends. Here's what you can expect this week. This weekend, expect mostly sunny weather with lows in the 40s and highs in the upper 50s and mid-60s. Sunday looks especially wonderful with a high of 66 degrees Fahrenheit. Sounds like a perfect time to hang out if, you know, you would like want to do that. Or Oh, this weekend? Oh, God. You know, I'm actually doing stuff. Okay. Well, on Wednesday, we might see some rain. TVD if it's from the skies or my tear ducts. Our lowest low. That's debatable. Is on Thursday of next week at 39 degrees. So... In other words, if you're like us and from the Golden and Sunshine states, it's cold. If you're from anywhere north of South Carolina, you're probably going to love the crisp autumn air. Speaking of the Sunshine State, after the devastation Hurricane Ian brought to the southwest coast of Florida, you might be wondering if anything else is on the horizon. There is, just not for them. A tropical cyclone just officially became Tropical Storm Julia. Although Julia's in the Caribbean now, it's likely that she'll become a hurricane before hitting Central America at the end of this weekend. Luckily for Floridians, Julia poses no threat to the U.S. Hey, that's my sister's name. I know. What are my sister's names, Nick? But hurricane season is far from over, with a little less than two months left. So we will continue to monitor tropical conditions. Well, that's it for upcoming weather from your favorite fair weather friends. Tune in next week to find out if more hurricanes are on the horizon or if Nick and Helen will finally hang out for the first time in seven months. A quick look at the weather for tonight. Expect cloudy skies. Temperatures will drop to as low as 38 degrees. 
Saturday will feel slightly warmer with sunny skies reaching a high of 58 and low of 43 degrees. A few clouds will reappear on Sunday. Taking a look into the headlines, the annual homecoming week is here. The event that started last Sunday will end on Saturday after a football game accompanied by a pep rally and free food. The popular Stranger Things house in Plainfield, Illinois will be reopening this weekend. The haunted display will be open for fans of the Halloween season coming up in a few weeks. The Safety Act, which is expected to bring much change in the criminal justice and police system, was announced to take effect on January 1st in 2023. The bill will bring an end to monetary bail and significantly affect the policies of police training and military equipment. All Northwestern students received an email regarding a critical injury on, at the Bob Residential Hall on Wednesday night. The university encourages students to take time for themselves and reach out to others when in need. <laughs>